Revelation chapter 14. Revelation chapter 14. I'm going to read the entire chapter. <clears throat> and again, Revelation is not, the things that are recorded here in, are not chronological. So keep that in mind. Because really what chapter 14 is doing is giving us a glimpse of the end, I believe, of the tribulation period. Although, you know, there are more things that are recorded that are going to happen yet in chapters 15 through 19. And of course, after chapter 19, we'll have the new creation, the recreation of the heaven and earth and, and the glories of all that. But anyway, so, so keep that in mind. This is kind of like an inset again. Revelation 14, in verse 1, it says, I looked, and lo, a lamb stood on Mount Zion, and with him a hundred and forty and four thousand, having his father's name written in their foreheads. I heard a voice from heaven as the voice of many waters, and as the voice of a great thunder. And I heard the voice of harpers harping with their harps. They sung, as it were, a new song before the throne, and before the four beasts, and the elders, and no man could learn that song, but the hundred and forty and four thousand which were redeemed from the earth. These are they which were not defiled with women. They were virgins. These are they which follow the Lamb whithersoever he goeth. These were redeemed from among men, being the first fruits unto God and to the Lamb. In their mouth was found no guile, for they were without fault before the throne of God. And I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel preached unto them that dwell on the earth, to every nation and kindred and tongue and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to Him, for the hour of His judgment is come, and worship Him that made heaven and earth and the sea and the fountains of water. And there followed another angel, saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, that great city, because she made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. And the third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, if any man worship the beast in his image and receive his mark in his forehead or in his hand, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation, and he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and ever. They have no rest day nor night who worship the beast in his image and whosoever receiveth the mark in his name. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus Christ. And I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, Right, blessed are the dead which die in the Lord from henceforth. Yea, saith the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, and their works do follow them. And I looked, and behold a white cloud, and upon the cloud one sat like unto a son of man, having on his head a golden crown, and in his hand a sharp sickle. Another angel came out of the temple, crying with a loud voice to him that sat on the cloud, Thrust in thy sickle and reap. The time has come for thee to reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. He that sat on the cloud thrust in his sickle and on the earth, and the earth was reaped. Another angel came out of the temple which is in heaven, and he also having a sharp sickle. Another angel came out from the altar which had the power over fire, and cried with a loud cry to him that had the sharp sickle, saying, Thrust in thy sharp sickle and gather the clusters of the vine of the earth, for her grapes are fully ripe. <coughs> Excuse me. And the angel thrust in his sickle into the earth, and gathered the vine of the earth, and cast it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. 
and the winepress was trodden without the city, and the blood came out of the winepress, even under the horses' bridles, by the space of a thousand and six hundred furlongs. And I just titled this message tonight, The Everlasting God. And so let's pray, and we'll look at this. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the opportunity and privilege we have to open your precious word. And I pray as we look at the word of God tonight, that we would be encouraged and strengthened and challenged in our walk with you. And I pray, Father, that you give us an understanding into these things and to realize that what you do, you do for everlasting. And thou art the same, thou changest not. And, Father, that we can rest in your promises, and resting in our Lord, who doeth all things well. So just help us and encourage us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We serve an everlasting God. He's eternal. And what He does, He does for all eternity. He is the same. He does not change. And so I have tonight four everlasting things from this chapter. Again, they will not change, and they are forever. First of all, the everlasting salvation of those whom he has redeemed. If you notice verses 1 through 5, And I looked, and lo, a lamb stood on the Mount Zion, and with him a hundred and forty and four thousand, having his father's name written in their foreheads. Now, we have seen this hundred and forty-four thousand before. In Revelation chapter 7, uh, John, in his vision, tells us before they would, uh, they would hurt the earth or the sea or anything in, they were to seal the servants of God in their foreheads in, in Revelation chapter 7, verse 3. And then it says in verse 4, I heard the number of them which were sealed, and there were sealed 144,000 of all the tribes of the children of Israel. And so we believe this would, took place, this sealing took place at the beginning of the tribulation period. That there were 144,000, and these 144,000, they were sealed, they had some kind of seal, and you know, the seal, we have a seal, it's not a visible one, but does manifest itself visibly in many ways. It is the Spirit of God. We're sealed with a Holy Spirit of promise until the day of redemption. And so we've been sealed. And he said the, 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 these have a seal. It, it, it seems to indicate a visible seal of some kind that God puts in their foreheads. And of course it's, a, it's of 12,000 from each of the tribes of Israel. Actually there's one tribe missing. And there's a part of a tribe missing. If you read through this list, Levi is mentioned, and Joseph is mentioned, and Manassas is mentioned. Now, Manassas was not really a, really one of the twelve sons. He was a grandson. Ephraim was also a grandson. But often, you see, when they came into the land and the portions were given out to the children of Israel, God gave portions to each one of the sons except Levi. Levi had his portion within the other's portions. His portion was God. He was the one, the, the tribe chosen to be the ministers of the sanctuary. And so he didn't have land portioned to him. Instead it was divided up of Ephraim and Manasseh and then the other uh, uh, 11 or the other 10. Uh, so, <coughs> so to Joseph were given two portions of the land. But when you come here, Joseph is given, was mentioned, and so is Manassas. 
but but um, Dan and Ephraim are not. And I believe there's a reason for that. Now, it was in Dan and Ephraim where the golden calves were set up. They were the ones that introduced idolatry into Israel. And so they were not sealed during this time. Someone has said, one commentator said, it may be that they were left to go unprotected. See, these that were sealed could not, would not be killed. They were protected through the tribulation period. But those of Dan and Ephraim were left unprotected because of their idolatry they introduced into Israel. But we see here, these are sealed. And, uh, and of course, of the tribes of Israel... And they have been, and when you come to chapter 14, there are still 144,000. Now, maybe say, well, that's, that's, what's the big deal? Well, the big deal is this. They have been preserved by the power of God through the most horrific and cataclysmic period in the history of the world. There has been no time period of seven years where God's people are going to be so persecuted as they are during the tribulation period. And yet these 144,000 are all preserved through that period of time. You know, the time period is so bad that in Matthew chapter 24, Jesus said to his disciples that except those days should be shortened, no flesh should be saved. And yet here they are, this 145,000. I, I believe what we're seeing here in chapter 14 is picturing the end of the tribulation period, and there's still 144,000 of them. Uh, and they are before the beasts, of course the seraphims and cherubims that we talked about or read about in chapters 4 and 5, and the elders, which represent the saved from, from uh, uh, past time periods, uh, which represents the age of grace in the Old Testament. Uh, redeemed from the earth, and, and these, these are there with them around the throne of God. They are redeemed from the earth, so they live, you know, they, they live their lives on the earth, and it says that they are the first fruits, they were the first fruits out of this time period, uh, I believe, and they're without fault and, with, and no, have no guile, it says. You know, when a person gets saved, they are made faultless before God. Look at Jude and verse 24. Jude in verse 24. <clears throat> Jude verse 24 says this, Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy to the only wise God our Savior be glory and majesty, dominion and power both now and forever. Amen. You see, when, when, when we put our faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ will, will one day present us faultless or does present us faultless in the presence of God because of his sacrifice for us. Our sin is no longer counted against us. We have been redeemed out of the slave market of sin. We've been redeemed from our sin. We've been cleansed from our sin. And so, you know, they, they, these have, again, he, these have everlasting salvation. There is no time period. You know, there are some that teach that during the tribulation period you're going to have to endure to the end or that you can lose your salvation. 
But as we'll see in the next point, the gospel has been the everlasting gospel. It's always been that. Uh, What God gives to us is always been an everlasting salvation. John 10, verse 28, Jesus said, I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. Uh, In John 17, verse 12, Jesus said, While I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. Those that thou gavest me I have kept, and none of them is lost. But the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. None of them is lost. None of them that were saved were lost. Judas was a son of perdition. He was a son of the devil. He was never saved. And so those that were saved, none of them were lost, ever lost. Uh, in fact, you know, Matthew says that, that uh, uh, they that endure till the end shall be saved. You know, God's people that are truly born again will endure to the end. They are saved for all eternity. And so we have, as these have, an everlasting salvation. You know, John 3.16, I give unto them, uh, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. I remember a preacher friend that, when he was, he's with the Lord now, he, he, uh, uh, pastored a church for a while that came out of, I think, the Christian Missionary Alliance or something that like that. Anyway, he uh, he was, you know, soon after he became pastor, he was preaching, and one of the deacons called him up one evening and said, you're preaching eternal security, aren't you? And so he said, I went to his house, and him and I had an argument and he said, I couldn't convince him that salvation was eternal. But he said, when I left the house, I said, just think about this. And he said, I quoted John 3.16. He said, I left. He said, when I got home, my phone rang. This was before cell phones, by the way. When I got home, my phone rang. And he said, it was that deacon. He said, you made your point. By simply... Quoting John 3.16, it convinced. The Spirit of God used that to convince him. You know, he couldn't convince him with his argument. Well, he gave him John 3.16. We'll have everlasting life. Well, what is everlasting life? It's really quite simple. You know, the God knows those that are his, and he will lose none. We have an everlasting salvation because we have an everlasting God. And we have an everlasting God that died to save us. Secondly, it is an everlasting gospel. If you notice in verses 6 and 7, I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel preached unto them that dwell on the earth, to every nation and kindred and tongue and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment has come, and worship him that made heaven and earth, and the sea, and the fountains of water. Now, again, this is, this is, we have an everlasting gospel. The gospel message has always been the same from the beginning. 
You know, if, if you go to Genesis 3.15, Genesis 3.15, we have the gospel in seed, what we call seed form. In Genesis 3.15, it says, I will put enmity between thee and the woman. Now, he's talking to the serpent, but Satan has indwelled this serpent and, used, and, and spoke through this serpent. So he's not speaking to a, a snake, he's speaking to the devil. So I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. So we're talking about the children of the devil and the children of God. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. So the seed of the woman is going to bruise the head of Satan. That speaks of a death blow, and that speaks of of, uh, destroying the power of death. And the one who had the power of death, and the one who had the power of death was the devil, who through all our lifetime held us under bondage, you know, subject to bondage. But Christ, set through his death and destroying Satan's power, has given us the opportunity to have life. Of course, speaking of bruising his heel speaks of the crucifixion, uh, that Christ had to give his own life to bring about that. But, and so... Even in the Old Testament, people were saved by believing in the Messiah or the Savior that was to come. You know, he was pictured by the lamb or the ram caught in the thicket who died in the place of Isaac. You remember what Abraham said there? God will provide himself a lamb. He's pictured in the Passover lamb that was to be without blemish uh, and was to be, you know, the blood put on the, the lentils and the, the, the lentil on the side post of the door. Uh, you know, he was, he was pictured throughout the Old Testament with all the sacrifices, all those sacrifices of the, of the tabernacle, the temple, picture the Lord Jesus Christ, the lamb that was to come, the one who was to die in our place. Give us life. And so it wasn't the sacrifices that they offered that would save him. It was the one the sacrifices pictured that would save them. But you know, the the Pharisees got hung up with the sacrifices. They thought because they sacrificed, they were saved. And they forgot, or they denied, willingly, that no, they were to put their faith in the one who would come, who these sacrifices pictured. But this is an everlasting gospel. You know, there are also those who teach that there are different forms of the gospel of the kingdom. C.I. Schofield in his study Bible teaches that. And a lot of fundamentalists teach that. They say that when Jesus, that Jesus offered the Jews the kingdom of God, he offered himself as the king. Remember, he came riding into Jerusalem on a colt, the full of an ass, that donkey, and, and they say he offered the kingdom. In other words, he offered to, to bring in the kingdom right then and there. The physical kingdom. But because they rejected it, he and was crucified, they turned it the gospel was given to the Gentiles. Someone one problem with that. 
philosophy. It flies in the face of so many prophecies of the Old Testament scriptures. It contradicts them. No, Jesus wasn't offering them a physical kingdom. What he was offering them was a Savior and Lord. If he'd have been offering them a kingdom, that's what they wanted. That's what they wanted. They wanted a physical kingdom. They wanted to deliver from Rome. They wanted saved out of all their problems. They didn't want a Savior and Lord from their sin. You know, like so many people today, they don't want a, to be saved from their sin. They don't see their sin as an offense against God. They just want to be saved. I just want out of my problems. I just want my problems solved. I just want to be delivered from the bondage that I'm under. You know, the bank debt and, and uh, you know, the, the problems with my wife or the problems with my husband or the problems with this or problems with that. They just want, they just, or the problems with my, you know, they just want saved from their problems. Out of their circumstances that they find themselves in life. You know, God didn't, Christ didn't die just to save us from our problems. He died to save our soul from hell and the consequences of our sin. To redeem us to God. And of course, those that teach that believe that that gospel is what will be preached during the tribulation. And that's what Schofield teaches. And, that, and that's why they say that you can lose your salvation during the tribulation period like you could lose your salvation in the Old Testament time. You know, Schofield gives four forms of the gospel. The gospel of the kingdom. That's what Jesus was supposedly offered to the Pharisees. And, and he talks about two, these, these, the preaching of this gospel is, is mentioned twice, once in the past with the ministry of John the Baptist and continued by our Lord and his disciples, ending with the rejection of Christ as their king. And that would be the triumphal entry when they rejected him. So that's kind of when it ended. And the other is yet future during the Great Tribulation period. Of course, there's the gospel of the grace of God, and that's what, that's what uh, we would preach. And then, of course, the everlasting gospel, which we'll preach during the tribulation, which is like what Jesus preached. But you know, the gospel which we preach is the same gospel that John the Baptist preached and that Jesus preached. It's not a gospel of the church. It's a gospel of the kingdom. In Luke 17, 20 and 21, Jesus said this, And when he was the man of the Pharisees, when the kingdom of God should come, he answered them and said, The kingdom of God cometh not with observation. In other words, not something you see. Neither shall they say, Lo here or lo there. For behold, the kingdom of God is within you. In Romans 14, verse 17, For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. In Colossians 4.11, And Jesus, which is called justice, who are the circumcision, these only are my fellow workers, Paul didn't say, unto the church of God, but unto the kingdom of God, which have been a comfort unto me. In Colossians 1.13, he also said, Who hath delivered us from the power of darkness hath translated us 
into the kingdom. You see, we're already in the kingdom. If you are born again by the Spirit of God, you are in the kingdom of God. You know, the kingdom is, again, the kingdom of God is an eternal kingdom. It changes appearances. Right now, it's a spiritual one. When the Lord returns, it's going to be a physical one. Or something we see by sight. Uh, but it is still the kingdom of God. Of course, Jesus, in, in uh, speaking Nicodemus, uh, in John chapter 3, except a man be born of the water and the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. So, so you know, this, this everlasting gospel has not changed. It is the gospel of the kingdom of God, a gospel that delivers us from the power of darkness and translates us into the kingdom of his dear son. It is an everlasting gospel. It has never changed and never will. It doesn't matter who preaches it. It's always the same. As long as he tells the truth. <laughs> so it's an everlasting gospel. I want you to notice the third thing. We see also everlasting destruction. Verse 8. And there followed another angel saying, Babylon is fallen. Is fallen. That great city because the ma- she was made because she made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of fornication. And the third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If any man worship the beast in his image and receive his mark in his forehead or in his hand, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of indignation. He shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and ever, and they have no rest day nor night, who worship the beast in his image, and whosoever receiveth the mark of his image. There will also be everlasting destruction to those who reject Christ. We see here that this, there's going to be destruction of man-made religion. That's, that's in verse 8. You know, when it talks about the Babylon is falling, and we get to chapter 17 and 18, and I believe when we're referring to Babylon, I believe referring to uh, uh, religion, false religion. False religion really began and got its real roots and at Babylon when they made themselves a tower that was going to reach heaven. Um, interesting enough, Rome refers to itself as Babylon. But anyway, so, so there's, but this is, there's going to be destruction. And you know, when God destroys something, this destruction is going to be permanent. It will never rise again. as We'll see that in chapter 17 and 18. There's also the destruction of the unsaved, or the beast worshippers, in verses 9 through 11. You know, man-centered worship, which is humanism, it is the worship of convenience. It's the worship of situation ethics. It's to go along, get along, looking for, out for self, do whatever is necessary for survival. You know, it is that you live. But it is going to be required that you be God. Your Daniel chose to obey God knowing it could cost him his life. Daniel understood that it was not necessary that I have to live, but it is necessary that I'm going to meet God. 
And Daniel is a good example for us. He chose to give up his life to save it. See, in giving up his life, he saved his life. That's what Mark tells us. He that saveth his life shall lose it. But he that loses his life, the same shall save it. The rich young ruler wasn't willing to give up his life, and he lost his life. He ended up with the eternal destruction. Daniel, on the other hand, who gave up his life, was willing to give up his life, found everlasting life. So those who choose to save themselves, and many will choose to save themselves in that day, there's going to be intense pressure during that time to receive the mark of the beast. Think about it. You're not going to be able to buy or sell. You're going to be able to transact any business. By the way, I'm not really worried about it. I, I'm not going to be here. Praise the Lord. Uh, but, you know, we have, we've, a lot of people to this day, even in this day and time, will not receive the gospel because of pressure, outside pressure. They're afraid of the family. Afraid what others will think about them. You know, they will choose their religion. Even though they know that their religion is not Bible-based. They will choose their religion because they've got strong ties there that they don't want to break. I've seen examples of that. But there's going to be a destruction. You see, we must be willing to lose our lives to save them. But those who are unwilling will lose their life. You know, Revelation 21. Verse 8 says, But the fearful and unbelieving, and the abominable, and the murderers, and whoremongers, and sorcerers, and idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Notice the first one he says is fearful. Um, some people are just afraid. Some people just, just don't want to believe. And of course, there are other, other reasons as they're listed there. But, but there's going to be the eternal destruction of the unsaved. This is going to be the everlasting destruction as Matthew tells us, there's going to be the destruction of the kingdoms of this world. If you notice in verses 14 through 20, and I have time to go into this in detail, but this is really describing the reaping of a harvest. It's a picture here of a sickle. You know, a sickle is what you use to cut off the grain and, and to reap the harvest. And, and so this is a picture of Christ coming down and a picture of the battle of the Armageddon which will be the, recorded for us in, uh, we'll look at in, Matthew, or in um, Revelation 19 also. But this is going to be the destruction of the kingdoms of this world that are going to come against Israel that the Lord will destroy in that day. In Isaiah 63, in verse 1, Isaiah 63, Isaiah speaks of this. And, of course, Joel also speaks about it. In Isaiah 63, in verse 1, Who is this that cometh from Edom with dyed garments from Basra? This that is glorious in his apparel, traveling in the greatness of his strength. I that speak righteousness, mighty to save. 
Wherefore art thou red in thine apparel, and thy garments like him that treadeth the wine fat? I have trodden the winepress alone, and of the people there is none with me. For I will tread them in mine anger, and trample them in my fury, and their blood shall be sprinkled upon my garments, and I will stain all my remnant, raiment. For the day of vengeance is in mine heart, and the year of my redeemed is come. You remember in Revelation chapter 6, the picture of those under the altar that have been slain for the word of God, for testimony that they held, and they said, Lord, how long? How long dost thou not revenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? Now's the time. This is what he's referring to. He's going to revenge their blood. And this, this is speaking here in Isaiah 63 of the Lord Jesus Christ when he comes. He is coming. And, and this, this uh, Basra, according to one commentator, if you notice in uh, chapter 14, verse 20, it says, The winepress was trodden without the city. The city speaks of Jerusalem. And the blood came out of the winepress, even under the horses' bridles, by the space of a thousand and six hundred furlongs. Now, a thousand six hundred furlongs, according to my cross-reference Bible, is, is about 178 miles. Most commentators say around 200 miles. Well, one commentator says, from Basra, which Isaiah describes, to the hill of Megiddo, and, and you know, Joel talks about the valley of Jehoshaphat and Megiddo, from Basra to the hill of Megiddo is 1,600 furlongs. And the Bible says the blood is going to flow in that space to the horse's bridles. You see, these that have shed the blood of the martyrs are going to have their blood shed in the valley of Megiddo. Napoleon said this most natural battleground in the world is Megiddo. That's where we, what we call, commonly call the Battle of Armageddon will take place. We'll see more about that uh, in, in later chapters of the book of Revelation. But this is, this is referring to the destruction of the kingdoms of this world, particularly the Antichrist and his armies, that have shed the blood of the saints. But then I want you to notice, and, so, and this, of course, this will be an everlasting destruction. Uh, it is forever and ever. It will never, they will never be uh, um, resurrected. But then I want you to notice one final thing, the everlasting bliss of the saints. Notice verse 13, 12 and 13. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and faith of Jesus. And I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, Write, Blessed are the dead which die in the Lord. From henceforth, yea, saith the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, and their works do follow them. If it comes to laying down your life or denying the Lord, if you're willing to lay down your life that you might have eternal life, God calls you blessed. You know, Daniel was willing to give up his life. He risked his life to obey the Lord. And Daniel's called three times beloved of the Lord. He, and again, here is the patience of the saints. You know, in times of trial, the point is this, 
And, of course, we're, we're speaking particularly about tribulation period when there's going to be intense persecution and many are going to be martyred. And what he's saying is to God's people, be patient. Be patient. God is going to avenge your blood in his time. And God will reward you in his time. Your reward is coming. You are the one that is really blessed. You are the one that will rest, will find rest from your labors and will be rewarded for your works. See, the world says, we need to just go along to get along and make things easier for life. How long is that going to be? 60, 70 years? But we're going to live in eternity forever. And if we adopt that philosophy of the world and deny God and His Word, we're going to live in eternity and turmoil and suffering and torture forever. You know, Matthew 13, 24 through 30 and 36 through 43 make it very clear that it is everlasting torment for the lost but for those who gave up their lives to follow Christ to obey him to trust him to, to, to rest upon his promises to receive him and his word there is everlasting blessing and glory and honor so be patient be patient Your John is encouraging us in our day and time, to trust God, to not give up. Trust His promises. They are true. And keep His commandments and the faith of Jesus Christ. You know, Matthew tells us in Matthew 24, in verse, I think it's verse 13, that he that doeth unto the end, the same shall be saved. Uh, Jude tells us that we are preserved in Jesus Christ and called. Uh, we are to keep the faith because there is our reward will follow. We just need to trust God for he is faithful to keep his promises to us. You know, we have an everlasting God. His promises are everlasting. They will not change. And we have a salvation that is, that is eternal and a gospel that we can share with those who know not Christ that does not change. But we must warn them that there is a destruction that they must flee from. May the Lord help us to be faithful.